Hey, good to see you today. We're glad you're here to worship with us. Thank you for those who are joining us online. We are continuing in our sermon series, Custom Made. And what we're talking about, how God has made each one of us unique and different. He's given to each one of us gifts and abilities that, that come by his spirit for his purposes as we come together as the, the body of Christ. And that's gonna be the imagery that we talk about today. One of the most kind of common imageries of talking about the church in scriptures, the, the, the imagery of, of a body. And so as I was considering that week, uh, that this week, I, I remembered an old song that maybe is a little nostalgia for some of you. Maybe some of you grew up around a church and you sang this song. I'll be honest, I had forgotten that this song came from the church context. I just, but I, so you feel free to sing along to this song if you know it. Ezekiel cried them dry bones. Ezekiel cried them dry bones. Anybody know this song? Bones. Ezekiel cried them dry bones. Oh, hear the word of the Lord. The toe bone's connected to the heel bone. The heel bone's connected to the foot bone. The foot bone's connected to the leg bone. The leg bone's connected to the knee bone. The knee bone's connected to the thigh bone. The thigh bone's connected to the backbone. The backbone's connected to the neck bone. The neck bone's connected to the head bone. Oh, hear the word of the Lord. I'll be honest, I totally forgot that that was about hear the word of the Lord. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that comes from this valley of the dry bones. But, but here's the thing is I was thinking about this song. It's just the simplicity of it, right? Like if any of us went to a doctor today and he said, hey, yep, you're going to need a surgery on your foot bone. I don't know about you, but I'm finding a different doctor, right? Because actually, if you were to start there, if you were to say to start in the feet, I don't know if you, some of you medical people would know this, but here's how the song would go. The distal phalanges are connected to the middle phalanges, and the middle phalanges are connected to the proximal phalanges, and, and those are connected to the metatarsals. There's 23 bones just in the foot, according to the image that I looked up on Google and counted because that's how much I know about such things, all right? But 23 bones. But here's what's amazing to me. What if one messes up? You know, sometimes I, as, a big, as a sports fan, you know, I'll be here and somebody's not playing because their foot hurts. And I'm like, come on. You know, like suck it up a little bit, right? But, but you know what? Here's how it works. If you have just one of those bones that's broken, that's messed up, the whole body is affected, you can't walk around, you can't get around, you can't do the things that you need to do because one out of 23 bones in the foot is messed up. Every part matters. Every part is important. Even the ones most of us don't know the names of. It all matters. And so it is in the body of Christ. Every part matters. Every part is important and the body never works the church never works the church is never what God really has intended it to be if the parts of the body are not taking their place in the body as the parts that God created them and intended them to be that's how the body of Christ works so in first Corinthians chapter 12 and last week we, we really talked about the gifts of the spirit these manifestations of the spirit this is how God uh, through his spirit is making himself evident in the world that we live in through these gifts that the world would see uh, these works that were talked about last week they would see our good deeds and praise our father who is in heaven that that he's doing this work and this is how he's given the gifts he's given a gift to everyone if you are a follower of Christ, you have a gift given to you by God for the purpose of the building up of the body of Christ, for the common good. At least one. They're given to everybody. Everyone gets gift. But they're given to each one 
individually. And each person must be faithful with the gifts that God gives them. No matter how faithful I might be with the gifts that God gives me, I cannot cause you to be faithful with the, God, the gifts that God gives you. I can encourage you to do that. I can equip you to do that, but I can't cause you to do that. No matter how faithful you are with the gifts that God has given you, you can't cause me to be faithful with the gifts that God has given me. I have to choose to do that. So they're given to everyone, but they're given in such a way that they're given to each one individually to be responsible for them, but they're given for the good of everyone. They're not just for your good. They're for everyone's good. And that's how the gifts of the Spirit works. And so that's what we learned last week, last week in the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And now we're going to pick it up in verse 12. And by the way, why did Paul spend so much time on spiritual gifts in his letter to the church in Corinth? Because they were getting it wrong. Like they were messing it up big time. They were making a big deal out of certain gifts, making it like, oh, this is so important. They were celebrating that. And then they were making very little of other gifts and ignoring them and not honoring them. And here's the thing is because the gifts are given to each person individually, what that really meant is they were making a big deal out of certain people and treating other people like they didn't matter. And every part matters. Every part counts the same. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If we were all a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we, we bestow greater honor. And our presentable parts are treated with greater, our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that they be, there may be no division in, in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles... Are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts and I will show you a more excellent 
way. You know, I really kind of like the end of this passage where he begins to ask these questions because it's where Paul uses what I believe is a great gift, the gift of sarcasm. And he begins to ask these questions, which are obviously no. Like, is everyone an apostle? Well, no, everybody's not an apostle. Is everyone a teacher? No, everyone's not a teacher. But then he begins to get to some gifts that maybe they have been teaching everyone was supposed to do. But through the way he was asking, the answer about all of these was no. There's not a singular one of these gifts that everyone's gonna have. But God has distributed them into the body, into the parts of the body to make this one beautiful body and it ends with this that that there's this more excellent way it's going to go on the next passage and talk about faith hope and love and the greatest of these is love that 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 he's teaching them to 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 go about it in the most excellent way see because when we devalue something we, we don't just devalue devalue that thing or that gift we devalue someone when we fail to honor Something we, we actually fail to honor someone who has an important place in the body of Christ. And we have to remember this. And uh, this book, Forgotten God by Francis Chan, that I've been encouraging, and some of you have begun reading, and some of you said, hey, I kind of wish you wouldn't have had me read that. That's really hard to read, but it's good to read, and it is really good to read. And in it, on page 104, it says this. Serving God and living faithfully can become a constant guilt trip of trying harder and doing better next time. Anybody ever felt that? Though I do not believe God gives us the Holy Spirit solely for our personal benefits, it is undeniable that one of the greatest aspects of being in relationship with the Holy Spirit is intimacy, security, and encouragement, he brings us. It is then we can serve as God's beloved child rather than a stressed-out, guilt-ridden slave that he has created this beautiful reality in each one of us individually, but it is in what he's created in each one of us individually as his workmanship that he is creating within the body of Christ, which is one corporately. And it's this amazing and beautiful thing that God is doing in the church. This weekend, I I had the privilege of spending time online through Zoom, um, teaching pastors in the subcontinent of India. It was a great experience. I loved it. It was a great thing to, to get online. And every time when I would get online, they'd be praising in their native languages. And I would get to hear them just praise the Lord. I didn't know what they were saying. I didn't have, I didn't have any idea what they were singing. But I knew that God was being worshipped. And, and we talked about, it was about the evidences of grace. And as we were talking about, it, what, 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 one of the things I challenged with is what God is doing in the church there, God is doing in the church here, that he's building up and giving parts of the body there. And he's get, building up and giving parts of the body here. And they all matter everywhere because God God is at work in this beautiful way. But if we're going to live this out, the first thing that we need to learn from being a part of the body is that a we mentality is a necessity. You have to live with a we mentality, which means you cannot live with a me mentality. You can't live both. It can't be about us and all about me. We have to see the church. We have to see what God is doing. We have to see ourselves and the gifts that God has given us in the light of who we are, not just about who I am, about what's good for us, not just about what's good for me. And this is countercultural. This is one of the places where Christians and followers of Christ ought to see the world radically different than everybody else. 
We live in a culture that, that loves to talk about all the things that are good for me and are right for me and are best for me. And that is not who God has called us to be as followers of Jesus at all. That we are to consider others more highly than ourselves. That we're to put others before ourselves. That the one who's greatest among us is who? The one who's least among us. This, this whole way of thinking, we have to have this we mentality. You see, true unity is found in our collective uniqueness. It is because of the fact that we are all different that is this beautiful unity that God creates within us. It's because we're not the same. There's this beauty to unity because each part is different and each person is different. And this is what God is doing. He's creating this unity. He's arranged it. He's, he's literally put people here, each one of us, for a purpose here. Each one of us different, with different gifts and abilities and backgrounds for the purposes of what he desires to do in the body of Christ. That you being faithful with who he called you to be is gonna encourage someone else and equip someone else to be faithful being who God called them to be. And then being faithful to be who God called them to be and equipped them to be is gonna help you and encourage you to be faithful in being who God called you to be and God equipped you to be. That's what God is doing. He's arranged it. Now, I got this toolbox for, for um, Father's Day maybe, sometime, sometime earlier in the year. And I finally put my tools in it like just a few weeks ago, right? Because, you know, I need them so often. All right, and... But I started with things that, I'm, that I grab pretty regular, right? Like those are at the top, they're easier to get to, things like that, right? But as you kind of go, there's things that I don't, I don't use quite as often, right? So like down here in the bottom, I have this thing. It's a thing. And uh, every once in a while I pull it out because you're supposed to use it to work on electrical stuff, right? And every, time I, every once in a while I think, I'm gonna do that. And then I watch a YouTube video about how to use it every time. <laughs> And I still get done and I go, I still don't know how to use that, right? So like upstairs, I have a treadmill. That our, 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 we had a tree that got hit by, by lightning and it messed up, it, and the treadmill messed up. And I think it just has the blown fuse in it somewhere. So I took the treadmill apart like a year and a half ago. And, and I took this up there and laid it next to the treadmill for about six months and it never fixed the treadmill all by itself. And the problem was I don't know how to use it. I'll be honest, like I don't know anything about electric. There's some tools in here I know how to use, but I'll put this one down on the bottom. I arrange it as such as appropriate for my skills. Does that make sense? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna use this one very often. But you know what? There's some other people in the room that they know exactly what to do with that. You give them a hammer and they're gonna destroy something, not build something. Each one's different. And God, it arranges them. He puts them in their place so they can be used how God intended them to be used. And it's a beautiful thing, the church, when the members are willing to be the church. When the members of it take their place and their part and do what God has created them to do. You see, the church is uniquely unified. There's nothing like the church in all the world. There's nothing like it. There's no other organization, no matter how well run, that is like the body of Christ, which God has placed within it every skill and ability and talent needed in that church so that it can do his purposes in that place at this time. As it says in Acts, he has set the times and places for you and me. He knew we'd be here before we knew we'd be here. And he's got a purpose for us here. And it's uniquely unified, but it's only uniquely unified when every part takes its place as the part it is. 
honoring the parts that are different, respecting and allowing God to do a beautiful work. It is organized, yet it is organic. It is planned, yet it is spontaneous. The church is arranged, yet it grows. It's both God's building, it's his bride, it's his body. It's this beautiful gift that he has given, and he's given each one of us as members of it. The unique beauty of the church is its unity, not its uniformity. The beauty of the church is that we are different, yet we're one. That we have one Lord, one spirit, one baptism, one faith, one hope. We share this, and therefore we share in what God is doing. The uniqueness of the church is in its parts. Yet its unity as a whole is what makes it special. Here it, it talks about that they were Jews and Greeks, slaves or free. That, that the reality is that we, we come from different ethnic and racial heritages. And these were not dissolved in the faith. They were embraced. They didn't disappear. They're spoken of here. Different spiritual backgrounds they, that did not define their differences but caused them to embrace their shared truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you realize in this church, there were those who were raised in the same faith as Paul, who was a Pharisee of Pharisees, who taught false things about the law of God and put rules on people and literally would end up killing followers of Christ. Like, there's people who came out of that faith in this church and there's also people who came out of the Gentiles who worshiped false gods and offered all kind of pagan sacrifices to false gods and they're in one place, in one church, in one body, together the same in Christ yet different, yet one. That's what God is doing in his body. It's, it's not uniformity, it's unity. They came from different social statuses and this didn't create animosity but they discovered the truth about one another they came from different economic situations and this was not a source of envy or of greed but of love and support but I think too often if we're not careful in the world we live in today we would rather substitute the cheap substitute of uniformity instead of the beauty of unity we'd rather everybody be like us hold the same political opinions see everything the way that I see things go about doing things the way that I think we should go about doing things. There's so many disputable matters. Hey, Jesus Christ as Lord is not a disputable matter. Jesus Christ is Lord whether you believe it or not. But there's some other things that are not quite so clear. And if we're not careful, we get so consumed with those things. Instead of being one with one another, we live in judgment of one another. Instead of embracing who God has called us to be, we reject who God has called us to be to be this unity that comes from the reality not that we're all exactly the same but that we're actually all different that's the beauty of what God is doing and there's four heart, heart attitudes that hinder unity found in this passage and here's the first one the first one is pride now there's really nothing wrong with being proud of something but pride in the sinful concept is that of like arrogance of believing and seeing too highly in yourself than you ought. This sin of pride where we begin to think really highly of our gifts and our abilities and what we have to offer the church, the body of Christ, but we think lowly of someone else and what they're good at and what they have to offer the church. You know, one of the things we have to be willing to do if, if we're not gonna 
commit the sin of pride is we don't just say, here's the thing I do for the Lord. Because it's not just gifts he's given us, it's services he gave us. It's works that he gave us. It's not just sitting around and say, I'll serve the Lord when I can do X. But you have the skills and ability and the church needs Y. Then do Y. Be a part of the body. Serve. It's not that you'll never have the opportunity to do the other, but we have to be careful that we don't get so prideful in the gifts and abilities that God has given us freely by his spirit that we begin to judge other things based on them. And we commit the sin of pride. The eye can't make fun of the ear or think little of it. The mouth saying the hand doesn't matter. Every part matters. The other hard attitude that gets in the way is envy when we're jealous of the gifts that someone else has. Like maybe somebody has a role or an opportunity that you wish you had. You wish you could do. Or maybe they're just better at it than you. Like you get to do it, but they're, they're better, at, better at it than you. Like I'll tell you this. I know um, that there's a lot of preachers out there who are better than me. And I can be envious of them or I can be grateful that God is using them. But I can't be both. I'm glad God's using them. Now, I, I, I'm gonna keep it real with you. Now, let me talk about what happens even sometimes here in our own church, all right? So I got some other guys who are, who are pastors here and they can preach. And when they preach, you all get online and talk about how it's the greatest sermon you have ever heard. I've been preaching for six weeks in a row, but you know, you get online and you start talking about how great it is. And here's what it is. I can be envious or I can be grateful that I have the privilege of serving others who know, with others who know how to rightly divide the word of God. And I can be grateful that God has brought them from where they were to where they are. And by the way, I don't need you to get online today and talk about how good a sermon this is. I'm good. Y'all actually encourage me just fine. I'm good. I'm healthy in that. Please don't go. I'm not envious. I'm grateful. I think they're great preachers. They teach me. I'm grateful for it. But I'm going to tell you, if you stop being grateful, you will become envious. Got to be grateful for what God is doing in the midst of the body of Christ. Selfishness, the unwillingness to be the part that God has called you to be, to give to the other parts, maybe the, the less honorable parts, the ones that take a little bit more care and humility. But we become selfish. I don't think they're worth it. They are. Don't let selfishness get in the way of God using you in the lives of others. And the last one is a sneaky one. And it's the hard attitude of insignificance. Well, you know what? What I'm good at doesn't really matter. Yeah, it does. It matters greatly. You're making a difference in somebody's life when you're being faithful to be who God's called you to be and do what God's called you to do no matter what it is. Now, I really don't even know what this gentleman did in, our, in my home church, but I want to tell you, there was this man in my home church named Mr. Pete Deloney, all right? And he was an older man. I, I don't know how old he was. I was a kid, so I thought he was really old. And, um, but he actually was he, was, he was really slow, all right? So when they called on him to pray at the end of church, he would never pray from his seat. He always walked from the back of the church to the front of the church and got in the pulpit to pray, and it took a really long time, all right? So we all just waited for Mr. Pete to very slowly make his way all the way up to the front, and everybody honored him. We, we, we waited for him. He, he was a great man in our church. 
but he wasn't a guy who got in front of people. I, I don't know, I actually don't know what he did in the church except for when they called him on him to pray. But I tell you what, that older gentleman loved this one little boy who got in trouble a lot at church. And I don't know why he was out there, but I remember him a couple times sitting with this boy when he got kicked out of class and loving on him. And he would bring me gifts at Christmas and he'd let me go fish in his pond and he loved on me. And I don't know what else he did in anyone else's life, but I know what he did in mine. And I don't know if he even knew it was significant to me. Sometimes our problem is we think we're doing something insignificant because we never get to see the significance of what we're doing. Oh, would you be faithful with the little things that he would do much. I'm so grateful for the peace of the world, making a difference one life at a time. So there's some hard attitudes that help unity. And the first one of those is value. We have to rightly value all the other parts. We can't say, oh, every part needs to be like me. We need to be a big ear. Some, some people get pretty close to looking like that. I mean, I'm not, I'm just picking on you a little bit. But anyway, right, one big ear. But that's, that's not how the body's supposed to look, right? That's not how it functions. And we have to learn how to rightly value each other. But here's a difficult truth. The part, the, the body does not exist for the good of the parts. The parts of the body exist for the good of the body. It's not about us. The body doesn't exist for the purpose of the heart. The heart exists, exists for the purpose of the body. And if we're not careful, we begin to think it's about us and forget it's really about him, what he's doing. And we have to be willing to rightly value one another and what God is doing in our lives. We have to value the part that we have and we have to take that place. And I'm gonna tell you this, if you're gonna rightly value the body of Christ, the church, and your part in it, you're going to have to rightly value it in relationship to all the other opportunities in your life. You're gonna have to choose it over some other things. It's never just all gonna line up. There's gonna have to be some things you don't do in life so you can do some things that God has called you to do in the church. You can't play every ball game. Not in today's world of sports. We, we feel that right now. You can't take every business opportunity. You can't go on every camping trip and take your place in the body of Christ. You're gonna have to value your place in the body that it matters enough to you that you choose it. You have to value it. You have to value the church enough to take that place. That we're called to honor one another. Not only should we not envy, but we should honor. That we should desire for others good for them. That we should rejoice in the good. We have to, we have to practice humility, not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought. Just remembering that I am who I am because what God has created in me, what God has gifted to me, and I have the privilege of being this.
that we would have the humility to, to be used of the Lord and not for ourselves. The last one is taught is that there should be care, that the parts of the body should care for one another. Now, when we say the word care, if we're not careful, we kind of automatically think, oh, we're going we're gonna to care for them. We're gonna, we kind of begin to think, oh, we should coddle this person. That's actually not what the word means. It means to provide what it needs, no matter what it needs. We take care of it. Now, sometimes when we, when we coddle something, we, we do more harm than good. Sometimes taking care of something means putting it to work for the purpose it's intended for. In 1996, I messed up my shoulder. In 2000, I finally had surgery on it, and it's been a problem kind of off and on ever since. It's like I basically can throw a ball one time, and then I'm done for the day. That's it. That's how it's been. But about a year ago, I began to work out. Not that you can really tell, but anyway, I began to work out and lift weights more than I ever have, and I did it the right way. I'm working out with somebody who makes me do it properly, all right, and made me work on certain, like, balancing and all this kind of stuff. And I'm gonna tell you this. Because I have worked the shoulder, it feels better than it has since 1996. Not because I coddled it, but because I worked it. Because I did what was right for it. Because I did what was best for it. Because I strengthened it, not because I babied it. And we should care for one another. And we should have gentleness towards one another because that's a fruit of the Spirit. But God has called us to care for the parts of the body so they can live out its purpose, not so that they can't. Because it matters. You matter. This church will never be exactly what God has intended it and created it to be if its members sit and don't serve. You have to take your place, do your part, and it's a beautiful thing. There's nothing in the world like the church when the church is being the church. But the church will only be the church that God intended it to be when the members of it are being the members that God intended it to be. When every part takes its place. And it talks about this more excellent way, these higher gifts. The higher gifts are this faith, hope, and love. It's, it's, not about, it's not about priority. It's about accountability and responsibility. But the greatest of these is love. And This week I was kind of wrestling with the truths, but what is it really talking about the higher gifts? And I asked a few friends via text, and my buddy Jordan White sent me this. I wanted to share it with you. We tend to be enamored with the charismatic or extraordinary or upfront gifts and look down on the ones that are quieter, more hidden, and honestly more service-oriented. Paul greatly valued spiritual gifts, but he valued even more a quality of life which the Spirit produced in them. Faith, hope, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. And sometimes we can get so consumed with the question about what should I do and where should I do it, that we quit following who we should follow. And in this good little book, this booklet, Affirming the Will of God, I found recently by Paul Little, it says this. Instead, the will of God is like a scroll that unrolls every day. In other words, God will guide you and me today and tomorrow and the next day and the day after that, one day at a time, and he may show us new applications of his commands, which we have previously not noticed. Our call then is to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, to walk with him in a daily close relationship. It is first of all being, not doing. 
How you spend your life is more important than where. Neither rules nor a blueprint, neither a specific place nor a particular kind of work comes before our call to follow him. As we realize this, we will begin to sense the exhilaration each day can hold when we are living hand in hand with God, the Holy Spirit guiding us, unrolling the scroll. What is God calling you to do begins with who is God calling you to be? Are you being made more and more into the likeness of Christ? Today as we end, I, I want to give you a challenge because today I'm kind of talking about the church, what it looks like to be a part of it. But I want to tell you a truth about the church. You cannot belong to the church unless you belong to Christ. You don't, you don't become a part of a church just because you show up. What we share is one faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one hope who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever come to that place of faith and hope? Well, we'd love for you to be a part of the church, but first you have to take part in Christ Jesus as Lord. If you never come to that place, we're about to sing two songs as we end service. We did a few songs up front. We're gonna finish with a few songs. But I'm gonna be standing up here in the front. Some others will be here. We'd love to have that conversation with you. We're gonna hang out after church ends. We'd love for you to come and talk to us. Maybe you need to talk about what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. Maybe you've been being unfaithful with that. I'm gonna challenge you with this. At some point, if you do not serve the Lord with the gifts that he gave you, it becomes sin. It's not just better that you should, it's sinful that you don't. And that's not what I want for you. I want you to find your place in the body of Christ, being who God called you to be. It's a beautiful thing. I hope you're encouraged by that. I hope you're challenged by that, that we would be the church the Lord Jesus Christ has called us to be. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me now. We're gonna pray, pray together and then we're gonna sing. Father God, I pray right now, if there's anyone that's here today who's not in Christ, Lord, I pray that we'd invite them first to you and then into the church, your body. Lord, if there's anyone who needs to have that conversation, that they would not leave this place today with any questions about their faith. Lord, for any who have grown discouraged in serving, dismayed about what it means to give of their gifts, Lord, I pray that you'd speak into their spirit and their heart and their life right now. You'd remind them of these truths. Encourage them in the giving of what you have given to them. I ask this in the precious and powerful name of Jesus.